Social awareness is one of the most important characteristic traits of any great leader, any great seller. But when you think about the art of selling, the ability to be able to be present enough to you know, listen to someone and realize that you said something and they didn't hear it. And you're able to change your entire conversation to make sure that you can give them the gift of like understanding like your intent. Welcome to the Making Sales Social podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join Bryn Tillman and me, Bob Woods, as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients, so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. I am so darn excited today. I have recently met these two best-selling authors through so many people talking about their book. And I got it on audio and I knew immediately I needed to bring them on the show. Garrett Brown and Colin Coggins are authors, speakers, and professors known for their entertaining and unexpected approach to selling that blurs the line between sales and life. They teach the popular class they created, Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs at the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. They are also co-founders of Agency 18, a firm that helps mission-driven companies adopt the unsold mindset, which is also the name of their book that they just published February 21st, 2023. The Unsold Mindset Challenges common misconceptions of successful salespeople so that we have these misconceptions of them. We're going to dive into that. Through interviewing many professionals, they discovered that the most successful salespeople were not necessarily confident, outgoing, or pushy. Instead, they were self-aware, socially aware, and unsold on what it means to sell. I've devoured this book on audio, and it truly provides a new approach to not just selling, but life by emphasizing mindset over tactics, such as rapport building and objection handling. There is rarely a new thing under the sun, but the way that the unsold mindset challenges, to, challenges us to adopt a new perspective on selling in ourselves and to understand the greatest salespeople are successful because of how they think, not just what they do. Welcome, Colin and Garrett, to Making Sales Social. Wow, that was an amazing introduction. Amazing. <laughs> can we you. take you with us everywhere <laughs> we go? Please? I can send you the text. <laughs> I certainly can. Yeah. That well, was you deserve it. You guys Thank deserve you. it. I'm... I don't get this excited a lot. I'm really, really excited about this. And I'm so excited to talk to you guys. But before we dive into your genius, we ask all of our guests, what does making sales social mean to you? I'll let Garrett go first. I see him smiling. Ooh, at Colin never lets me go first. I'm so excited about it. I mean, I, I will go first. What, <laughs> what is more social than the act of selling? I mean, Every interaction that we have with the human being pretty much is some kind of selling, right? Whether whether we're having a conversation and trying to get our point of view across, whether we're trying to convince our kid to eat his or her vegetables, whether we're convincing our partner on what to have for dinner tonight, um, or whether we're selling a product or service. like th There is nothing more social than an interaction with another human being 
and and trying to communicate and and get them to buy into something that's going to change their life for the better. So for me, that is what social selling means. That's great. All right, Colin, the floor is yours. Now I get to say, I agree with Garrett. So that's mine. And also um, (laughs) um, social awareness is one of the most important characteristic traits of any great leader, any great seller. But when you think about the art of selling, the ability to be able to be present enough to you know listen to someone and realize that you said something and they didn't hear it. And you're able to change your entire conversation to make sure that you can give them the gift of like understanding like your intent. Like when you talk to someone and you realize that they don't think that you're listening, they think you're waiting to speak. Like these social cues, the element of being a social seller to me is the element of being a socially aware seller. And that that's the best seller in any room. Yeah. Socially aware, absolutely foundational for, for what makes sales social. I love that. All right. I'm going to dive into my very first question. And it really is, what is the origin of the unsold mindset? How did you guys come up with this? Many margaritas and guacamole and <laughs> with or without salt. Yeah, uh, without salt for one of us, with uh, for the other. <laughs> got it. You know, Gar- Garrett and I, you know, we have very different origin stories that got us to the place where we met. Um, but the you know the short story is that after we were together at this software security company, you know, we created what we thought was a really foundational approach to selling. And it, it would soon become this modality called the unsold mindset, but we didn't really know it at first, you know, but it did look like a curriculum and it did look like learning and development. And you were, you were looking at customer segmentation differently. And you were thinking about, you were thinking about how to sell. You weren't thinking about the tactic of how to sell. And so when that company got acquired by Google, Garrett and I said, like, we think we could probably do this like at scale. Like, like, why be limited to this? And so we we were trying to come up with what we were teaching because we were guest lecturing at all these different universities. And then ultimately USC said, hey, like, come here, like, make this a home. And, and we got, you know, we created Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs, which is the only sales mindset class in all of the higher education that we know of. It became really popular really fast. And we were like, okay, how are we compartmentalizing this? If we think about what's happening, a third of the class is showing up every single week because they want to learn how to sell ideas. Like they are, they're future leaders, they're future entrepreneurs, they might be future salespeople, but they want to make sure they can garner investment. They want, they want to be able to capture like the minds and hearts of people. And then you had a third of the people that were showing up every day because they wanted to learn how to sell themselves. So they were also future leaders and entrepreneurs, but also future salespeople. And they wanted, you know, to create agency in people so that they would want to work for them, right? Like these sort of these building relationships. And then a third of them wanted to, to you know, sell products and services, the crazy bunch. That's what we call them. We're one of them, obviously. And, you know, as we started seeing what was happening in the classroom and it mirrored the consulting clients that we were talking to, we were like, they all have this in common. They are completely unsold on what it means to be a salesperson. Like these like great people that like we were that we were meeting, these students that were interviewing, these chefs that were changing the food landscape, these lawyers that were like changing like the the trajectory of people's lives. So they they were all redefining what it meant to sell to them and it was the exact opposite of what people thought a salesperson looked like or acted like or smelled like to be honest. So 
I think the origin of the unsold was we found a pattern that the most successful people on the planet weren't just the opposite of who people thought they were, intentionally breaking rules about who society expected them to be. So I just want to follow up on that and then I'll I'll go to Garrett. So you believe, it's interesting because when I went through this, I thought a lot of this was that people had a, a an intuition that it wasn't necessarily conscious. You know, that that's, it wasn't a decision. Yeah, you're a hundred. That was the most fascinating part about it. They had no idea that they were saying the exact same thing. Like General Stanley McChrystal and like one of the top trial lawyers in in corporate America, right? Like they said almost the exact same thing that like the SVP of like a startup in in California said. Like they were all talking about this concept of showing your work, and at some point they all talked about how they talk to themselves out loud in front of other, like they don't even know each other. And they didn't even know that it was called showing your work. They were just, they were talking about like these examples of why people were falling in love with them, why they were selling. And it was like, oh my God, he's talking about showing his work. He's talking about showing his work. He's talking about showing his work. None of them are showing up and saying, hey, I'm self-aware enough to know that if I let people inside and I show my thought process on the left side of the equal sign, then they'll care more about the right side of the equal sign. That's the opposite of what they're doing. So when we were telling them, hey, you know that Snoop Dogg said the exact same thing that you just said? And you watch these geniuses have these epiphanies. They're like, oh my God, that's why I'm good. Or I never knew why this worked, you know? Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, so Garrett, great. you got to follow that. I do. Well, I'm laughing because one of Colin's favorite words is pithy. Isn't that ironic? <laughs> uh, no, a couple. I have a, lot, a lot of things I want to add to that. But to, to your last point, Brent, about um, about uh, oh, and I just lost my train of thought. Because um, you're funny. Oh, you talked about you how you thought it was unconscious versus versus something conscious, and that's exactly right. Like yeah, it, yeah. It, it was subconscious. It wasn't something that they were doing intentionally. And we started to see our job as, okay, how do we teach people to actually be able to go and intentionally get, not to intentionally do these things, but to get in the mindset where they're doing them authentically. That It's interesting that you picked up on that. And, and that's exactly what our job was. As far as the origin of Unsold, Colin's making it sound like it was a, it was more planned than it was. Like Colin mm-hmm. and I both came from these different non-sales mindsets and backgrounds and we sort of had the same approach. And as we got to the point where he mentioned that we said, okay, how do we scale this? We we hadn't called it unsold at that point yet. Like we didn't really have a definition for it. We just knew that there was this set of things that we believed that we knew worked because we had done it for our entire careers and we had just sold the company to Google. And so we, we kind of like had this, this anecdotal evidence that it worked. But when we went out and then started to try to talk to people and codify it and figure out, okay, how, how do we define it and teach people how to do it themselves? That's when we realized that all of these people that we were talking to were unsold on how things were supposed to be. Like they were unsold on how they were supposed to sound, how they were supposed to act, what they were supposed to do. And that's when we gave it the label. And, obvi- and once you label something, as, as many personal development gurus will tell you, once you label it, then it becomes easy to like deal with it. And, and so then we, then we couldn't unsee things. And that's when we started to really get the the buckets that turned into the chapters of the book. I just said that. that, Just more pithier than you. (laughs) (laughs) I like the word pithy too. Uh, Although as a salesperson, I'm rarely pithy. So (laughs) we we try. um, I try. I try to be more of a listener than a talker, but sometimes it just seeps in. You know, you mentioned it and you actually kind of dropped a little bit of this already, but you mentioned even on the cover of the book that the best sellers are the opposite of what we think they are, who they we think they are. So this is sort of a three-part question. What do we think? 
Why do we think it? And what's the truth? Very good questions. When we when we kick off any keynote, doesn't matter if there's hundreds of people or thousands of people, we kick it off with two questions. The first question is, what do you think of when you hear the word salesperson? And they're really horrible words, you know, yucky, manipulative, smarmy, pushy. The second question we ask is, who do you think of when you think of the greatest salesperson on the planet, you know, dead or alive? And out of thousands of people, the top two answers for that question is Steve Jobs and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh-huh. daughters and sons are a close third. And Jesus, believe it or not, is a is like a is like a, almost a tie for third, sometimes fourth. Like these are the top four answers that you get. Steve Jobs over Jesus. That's a little <laughs> scary. But I think, think about, I mean, think about the incongruence. Think about someone that just said that when they hear the word salesperson, they think yucky. And then when we ask you who the greatest salesperson is, you know, you talk about your daughter or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There was this huge incongruence. So what do people think sales is? We know what that is. But what why we wrote this book was because that incongruence was completely fascinating to us. How is that possible? That like And then to to this yeah. to the second part of your question, why? That's pretty easy to answer, especially at, for, for people who have been in a sales career long enough. You know that there are a lot of people doing things the wrong way that give it that make it harder for the people doing it the right way. And whether that's literally lying or manipulating all the way down to just like, you know, spray and pray. And I'm going to send 20,000 emails out and I don't care if they're they're qualified or not. Like all of these little things and big things combined make it really tough. And then there's there's society, too. Like if you look at at movies, what depictions of salespeople do we see in movies? It's, it's, you know, the greed is good or always be closing copies for closers. Like, you know, it's, it's always, and it's been that way for forever. So um, it's, people can't be blamed for, for having this, this um, preconceived notion of what, what a salesperson is and for being wrong about it. But that's where it comes from. We found it, we found it interesting that to, to answer this question, maybe even a little differently is, we found that everyone was selling like themselves or an idea, regardless if they thought it was a yucky word or not, didn't matter like how they reframed it. Like everyone is selling an idea or themselves or a product or service. So, you know, when you think about the the parts of people's lives, when they decide to show up and act like another persona of themselves, like when they decide during the job interview, you know what? I'm going to act like the best version of myself, right? Like I'm going to act like the person that they expect me to be. That person is completely different than who they hope they are. Do you know what I mean? And it's like these these people, when you think about when people decide to act like someone they're not, it's typically when they're in a selling situation, even if they don't realize that that's what's happening. That's the minute that you're like, oh, I'm going to teach my kid. I'm going to sell my kid on eating his veggies. What would a dad look like who's really good at selling a kid on eating his veggies? Okay, I'm going to come in and I'm going to be, I'm going to be the cool dad. Just that hypothetically what I did, right? I brought ranch out. I was that guy. I don't normally you know, do ranch with broccoli. So it's like these things like that. Like I'm acting like someone I'm not, you know, trying to like prove this point when what we realize is the greatest sellers on the planet are really good at being imperfect.
Like they're really good at making sure that the person on the other end of this sale knows we are very similar. I'm imperfect just like you. I am very raw just like you. I am trying to figure it out just like you. And most of us, for some strange reason, when we get into selling situations, we try to act like we are perfect when people hate perfect people, you know? Well, it feels arrogant often. We don't realize it. Yeah, no one wants to be the smartest person in the room. That's what we found in that book. The smartest people in the room are intentionally trying not to be the smartest people in the room. They're like creating infrastructures to be a lifelong learner. Looking to up your LinkedIn game? The Social Sales Link team has you covered with our LinkedIn Sales Accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash in for more details. Again, that's socialsaleslink.com slash in. Because they know how easy it is to be a knower. Wow, which really makes them the smartest people in the room. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Now we're no, but I, I love that. So so tell me a little bit about like the the truth, right? What does a really successful seller look like? A really successful seller moves differently than somebody who is seeing dollar signs on the other end of the table or the other end of the phone. If you are calling somebody because they're the 25th name on a list of 50 people that you have to call that day, that's not going to sound the same as having a conversation with somebody that you genuinely care about helping or wanting to learn more about you know, you're, you're, you're going to ask different questions if you care differently. You're going to listen more closely if you care differently. You're going to, you know, go out of your way to try to find ways to be valuable instead of just thinking about them as a math problem and saying, how can I add enough value to make sure that they give me money in, in exchange, right? You're, you're trying to genuinely be valuable. And that's a really big, it's a really small mindset shift actually, but it has big results and it's not always easy for people until they they see it. So I love that. One of the phrases we use often in our training is detach from what the prospect is worth to you mm. and attach to what you are worth to the prospect. And Couldn't you- love that more. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's it's, so- we, we, we see it in greats. I mean, we see it. We call it different things. But you read it or listened to it in the pathological optimism chapter. And these people, they were pathologically optimistic because they needed to get to a place where they could have a conversation with someone without needing something from them. Yes. You know, it's like, you yes. we all know what it feels like to have a conversation with someone where you don't need anything from them. Like that, that's where there's a ton of love, a ton of value, a ton of respect that there's real vibes. But you know, you can't really do that unless you think that there's not really much to lose. You know, like if you thought this person was going to buy, like, listen, this person's going to buy. Like I have the perfect, I'm going to change this person's life with this product. He's going to buy. Let's put that aside for a second. Let me talk to you now as if you already bought. Like, let me be honest with you. Are you real with you? Let me, these are, I'm not saying that everyone did it. I'm saying that the result of pathological optimism is a conversation that feels like there are two equal parts and it's not one person extracting more value than the other. There's not an agenda beyond I want to learn and help. No, I mean, Garrett said said it really well. what, What does a great salesperson look like? Like they move differently. They move differently because they care differently. Like everyone knows salespeople ask better questions than most. But the the, the question that book has been written. The question is why are they asking better questions? Like they're not asking questions they know the answers to that other people don't. They're asking questions they don't know the answers to that they really want to know that most people don't care about. Yeah, you know, I've been in sales for a very very long time. Yeah. And uh, started off in kind of the 70s, they're still around, but the 70s sales training 
where it was really manipulation and and yeah. it, it just and it just was what everybody was doing yeah. and part of that was they would say never give away free consultation you know th- there was no internet there right. was no, <laughs> there was no access for information yeah that's actually right? yeah. interesting and so yeah and so now and they're still teaching that right and they're still teaching don't give it away nice. and there's a wonderful it's a ted talk too that you should listen to it's just wonderful michael port wrote a book called um book yourself solid and i i'm going to get close to the quote, give away so much value that you're afraid you gave too much and then give more. And that changed my life. Mm. Like, I don't have to be like tight with my resources and who I am. And it didn't feel right. I want to give it away. And, and yeah. yeah. We, what was uh, quote? Yeah. Go ahead, oh, sorry. yeah. You're talking about the 120 rule. And that changed his life, David Meltzer. Yeah, where he he said he made sure that for every twenty dollars and uh, that he a value that he extracted from somebody, he made sure he was giving a hundred dollars of value in return. And the, the only challenge with that is, it, and the thing I'll add, and and he would he would agree with this as well, is you they're not thinking about this as a math problem. They're just they're in a mindset where they're doing that naturally, you know. And that's you talk about um, old sales trainings and and the challenge and the trouble with some of those. You know, they they used to teach us even at the be, even at the beginning of our careers, they were teaching you mirroring, and they were saying, you know, oh, if you mirror the body language of the person that you're talking right. to, they're you're, they're going to feel more connected to you. But if you go back in time and you look at the science, what probably happened was many, many, many years ago, somebody was studying a great salesperson and they realized that they were mirroring their customer. And so they wrote down in their notepad or their book, they said, okay, great salespeople mirror their customers. But if you look at the science, what's actually happening is that we as human beings naturally mirror people when we are when we have a deep connection with them naturally not because we're pretending and because we're looking so what happens is now you've got generations of salespeople that are thinking about where their left arm goes and are their legs crossed and should their head be tilted a certain way when in reality what they should be worrying about is how do you build a deep enough connection so that you're just naturally mirroring someone because that's what humans physiologically do, as opposed to trying to just think about, if you're thinking about somebody's arm, you're not paying attention. You're not listening. You're not asking the right questions. So, uh, you know, it's just another example of sales training and it's always going to be evolving, but they've been teaching us wrong for a while. What else do you think is broken in that traditional sales training? What else comes to mind? I want to say, because I know that there's some real sales professionals out there. This book was written out of crazy empathy. Like, you know, like, like we were not like from as a lifelong sales professional, maybe I didn't want to be one at first, right? But for someone who's done it for a really long time, we wrote this book, not from like a soapbox, but from a realizing that it is the toughest sport in business. Like it's, it's, it's why we care so much about it, right? Because like of the burnout and the rates of depression and the rates of anxiety and the alcoholism that's attached to this beautiful like art that has given us so much, right? And so when Garrett says that, that they've been teaching us wrong, we we know that like these tactics, we're, like, we're aware now, you know what I mean? Like of how, how they make us feel. And we are choosing now probably as a generation to like not do that. 
But I think back in the day, to your point, right? Like when you were getting taught something and you didn't know any differently, what, what ended up happening was people at some point started genuinely caring about the people that they were talking to. And then those same dirty manipulative tactics were actually like these beautiful extensions of themselves. And at some point you realize that like even the dirtiest of tricks like could potentially like be served as like a genuine authentic expression of oneself, like mirroring, for example, you know? So right. like who knows if like the like the originator of the mirror was like yo just fake it all we know is a bunch of salespeople were faking it like that's what we knew for sure you right know? but yes so anyways i, I want to say that because the evolution we, we stay up for like garrett and he was talking about the bar like garrett and i can stay at the bar for hours and just talk about the life cycle of like a script like you know when you see like a really good script that's because someone broke the rules and they broke the old script you know what i mean like there are these they're like right so, so it's all, you know, like, would there be Kobe without Jordan? Would there be Jay-Z without Rakim? These sorts of conversations and sales really get us excited. That was a tangent. That was a bonafide tangent. Sorry. <laughs> a good one. Um, so anyway, so the answer to your question, are there other tactics? Yes. I think, um, I think one of the main ones is the, um, the usage of other people's names, like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah name. Colin, you think it's really great to talk with me, Colin? It's been fabulous. To name me. repetition. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same story as yeah. you know. It's, it's and look, I, we all read the Dale Carnegie book. Like, and he wasn't lying. Like he said, right. the sweetest name is like someone. You know what? That's probably true. That still doesn't mean that it gives other people permission to weaponize that. Because the point would be, why do you care so much that you remember this person's name? Like, what is it that's so special about this person that like you want them to know, like, I'm talking to you, I hear you versus I want you to know that I know your name so that I will ingratiate myself, you know, closer to this sale. So things like that. Also the handshake, the over the top handshake is a rough one for us. Oh, vey. Like the just coming over the top, like and asserting dominance. I, I had one of those last week and I'm still <laughs> feeling it. Yeah. We, we will say no to people that are right. Yeah. Don't do that's, it. That's fine. So one of the things we talk about a lot with the name, right? Is, and we talk about it in messaging, you know, like automation sticks the name five times. So they think it's not automated. <laughs> like it makes me nuts. Right. But the, the saying that, you know, there's nothing sweeter than hear, hearing your own name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you have too much cheesecake, it's no do, no longer tastes good. Like the, every, all sweet thing, you know, Every, no. everything. Yeah. You're, you're speaking of your our people. Even worse than that is if, if you're just thinking about inserting their name, you can't possibly be paying close enough attention to build a real connection. And that, you know, I, a lot of times you'll see on, on Twitter, or on social media, you'll see that, you know, a salesperson should listen 80% of the time and talk 20% of the time. Probably true, but if you're sitting there doing math on how long you've been talking versus listening, you're, you're not that you're missing the point. You're just quiet eighty percent of the time. <laughs> exactly. Doesn't I had this SDR listen. reach out to me. I told Garrett the story. I, I had an SDR reach out to me, and I typically don't pick up phone calls, but now I'm really interested. Like anytime I have a moment, I will do it just to see. Like, what are they going to do? And ever since we started teaching, I, I answer the phone, and she goes, "Hey, is this Colin?" I go, "Yeah." I say, "Yes." which gave her permission to talk for three minutes and 13 seconds straight. Now I stayed on. And when I, and when she was done, she said, it was like at two minutes and like 50 seconds, she paused and she goes, what do you think? And I said something like, just something like, wow. I think I said, wow. I think I said, wow. Cause you didn't talk that long. <laughs> and then she talked for another until three thirteen. And so I asked her, I said, are you good at your job? 
And she said, yeah. I said, no, like for real, like I'm in sales. Like, are you on the top of the leaderboard? Are you good at your job? And she was real proud. She was like, yes. And I was like, you know what? I was going to give you advice. Do you? You have a very hard job. Being an SDR is a thankless job. And even though there's no way I would ever teach anybody to talk for three minutes and 13 seconds, like you are doing really hard work. And I, if you love it and it's important, like maybe it's important work. And I wasn't going to sit there and judge her, you know? So like, it's, it's really, I it's, love that. Yeah. It it's, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I, you know. It is. And I, you know, I teach how to never have to cold call again. That's a big piece of what I teach. But I have bought from cold callers. So I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I'm just saying most people hate it. So yeah, let's- it's the, you know what it is? It's, and we don't have time for it, but I would like, because the prolonged gratification, like the, the idea of just earning the right to be on that call, like is really cool. And some people like they're masters at it. They're like, look, like, let me just, let me just tell you why I'm calling. And then you can tell me if I should hang up. Like those people, like they immediately have shown these people, oh, this is a real one. I'll give them 10 seconds before I hang up. So you want what you do for that 10 seconds. But like the, the mindset behind earning the right to be on the phone versus trying to book an appointment, it, it could be masterful in the right hands, you know? I love that. I, you know, so, and I also love how you're saying there's not, we're not throwing things out. We're just saying, use them authentically. Yeah. If, if they happen to fit into the moment and the situation, then it's appropriate, right. but don't squeeze it in there because it's on the agenda or, you know, that someone's listening to your call and take, you know, did she say that? Did he do it's that? It's offensive. It's offensive. Like we know you're doing it. It's offensive. And if you don't think that we know you're doing it, then you lack social awareness, which is what you talked about in the beginning. Well, you guys did, which I loved. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I love that. Two more questions and then we'll we'll bring this in for a landing. How is the unsold mindset redefining what it means to sell? His, historically, and, and especially with, with new salespeople, but a lot of a lot of experienced salespeople as well, selling is all about the transaction. Right. It's all about, and it's all about these are the tactics that I use. This is my sales cycle. This is what selling is. And what Colin and I realized very early on, and the reason that we wrote the book is because it's not about what salespeople do. It's not about what salespeople say. It's about what salespeople think. The reason that everybody can listen to this podcast or any other sales podcast, or they can read our book or any other sales book. And the reason some people will go out into the world, probably around 20% will go out into the world and they'll thrive while the other 80% are trying to figure it out is because of that mindset. So we are trying to redefine that so that it's not just about the tactics. And as you said in, in, in your introduction, it's not about how do I overcome objections and how do I go in for the clothes and all that. It's about how you think. And then you can take all of that other stuff, make it your own authentically and go out there and, and help people. I love that. I do too. And you know, what I hear and correct me if I'm wrong is if a company hires you to come in and train, you're not teaching a methodology. You're not teaching them, you know, these are the, this is the process and you're closing for this. And you're teaching them that whatever you're doing, let's do it authentically. 
That is, that is the yeah. high level gist of it for sure. And listen, we, we love, we think sales training is important. You know, as, as you're starting out, it's you take, take that training. If, if somebody's offering you traditional sales training, take it, just know that the box that you think you're supposed to fit into, you don't have to fit into use it your way. I think that that's the game changer, right? That that's why I believe that this is new, right? Every company, we are a Miller Hyman selling company. We are a Sandler selling company. We do. And, you know, every human being is different. And when you put them all into a box, sure, some will come to the top because that happened to be authentic or it worked Mm -hmm. for them. But, you know, the 80-20 success, right? Like 20% of your sales reps do 80% of the business, right? That it may simply be because the 80% of the people are put in a box that doesn't work for them. Yeah. We're training agnostic because of it. Like that's, that's what the book was about. You know, it was like, hey, like you don't have to fit. Read a book on handling objections. Like it doesn't matter. Like, and then read the book that will tell you like why you actually want to ask them questions that you actually want all the answers to. Those are two different books. I also want to say your question was really good. Sorry, the the redefining. No one's ever asked us that. I just want to give you like love for that. Like, like people don't realize that that's, that's what's happening. Like when mothers that have two day jobs and then come home and have like, like, like we are hearing from people that are under the craziest like amount of pressure that are reading this book and redefining what selling means to them so that they can show up more authentically and stop acting like the person that people expect them to be. Like there's like, like that's the most important part of the book. And a lot of people aren't asking that question. So thank you for that. Oh, it, 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 I have chills. I love, I love where you guys are coming from. It just fits into the core of of my belief system you, you have articulated what i feel and we so share I, uh, we share your belief system we had a listen, we had a pr person say i have never been more proud than selling the nfl on the diversity and equity 250 million dollar uh plan that they helped create and foster like she used the word sell so like, i've never been more proud to sell like because she has redefined what it means to sell to include diversity and inclusion. And that's really important to her. Uh, yeah. And I think, I mean, not to throw in Simon Sinek all the time I do, but that why, like if you, if you have your why, why am I selling this? What is the impact I want to make? Right. I mean, I think that that just wraps it all up. So my last question, even though I could do this forever and ever and ever, because I'm just, in in heaven what question should i have asked that i didn't are we friends in real life are you friends in real life con and garrett see i used your name did that feel authentic i mean we are i i I always say that because that that's the real special sauce you know garrett and i are very different um and that's why our friendship is very real and why our partnership works because you can run a business with someone if you're used to arguing you know, you can run a business with someone and and look at feedback as a gift if you know that that person like has your back. Like when they say something hurtful, like they're not doing it intentional, they're doing it because they want you to be better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our friendship, our relationship as like real best friends in real life, I think is really what has made all this work. So that's, that's the, a great question. Thank you for asking. Well, I love that answer. And I'm <laughs> glad that you're really friends. I think that's fantastic. The best of friends. Well, our job is to create together, to teach together, to travel around and share this stuff that we are passionate about together. 
And some, every once in a while, you know, we, we started out the book talking about that special place where, what, you know, what you would do, where you're getting paid for what you would do for free and the mindset that comes with that. And, and we're lucky enough to spend most of our days getting paid for things that, that we just love doing and we get to do it together. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That's a successful life. I it's love not that. bad. <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations on your great success with the book, with your training to all of our listeners. Please go buy the book. If you are an audio reader, it's great on audio. Uh, I guess that's not a reader, an audio learner. Um, It's on hardcover. It's on Kindle. Go to Amazon right now and get the unsold mindset. Thank you. Thank you. Beyond thank you. Uh, The value that you've brought is just unbelievable. Um, So everyone, when you are out and about, don't forget to make your sales social. Thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing, sales training, and social selling strategies that will set you apart. Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.